0: From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Thursday, April 30th, today. California grows over a third of the country's vegetables and two thirds of its fruits and nuts. That means farmhands are essential workers. Without them, we don't have food. But they mostly lack the resources that other essential workers in our economy have. Many don't have unions or health insurance, and they live in rural areas that often don't have services like food banks and school lunches for their kids or even a living wage. Today, we're joined by Carissa Purnell, director of the Alisal Family Resource Center in East Salinas. She says that keeping farmhands safe from coronavirus is essential to the health of the Golden State.
1: Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you.
0: So, Carissa, how's coronavirus affecting farm workers on every level? So not just the field workers themselves, but also, say, their spouses, their children, all their family members?
1: Yeah, so the coronavirus and this whole pandemic has really just impacted not only individuals, but entire families and the community to the core, right? So we've seen this huge increase in requests for food and requests for unemployment support. Sort of everything that you can imagine that was consistent and routine in the lives of a lot of our students and families just been completely turned upside down.
0: Just been blown up.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Are the farm workers proud that the government has deemed their work essential? Because a lot of people are not working, but all the farm workers up there in the Salinas Valley, in the Central Valley, the Coachella Valley, Imperial, they're all working right now. In many ways, they're more essential than ever before.
1: It depends on who you ask. But from my perspective, we've always known they're essential, right? Our families don't eat without the folks who do the work every day. But to not offer hazard pay, to not increase their wages, to not sort of recognize it monetarily really doesn't mean much for families who already struggle to survive.
0: And then comes news that the Trump administration wants to slash the pay of these quote unquote essential workers.
1: Right. And so I think that a lot of these folks, too, don't even have access to some of that federal stipend dollars. Right. So depending on your immigration status, those financial supports may not even be in place. So to cut their wages on top of really increased housing situation costs and costs of not having access to food in our grocery stores and relying on schools to provide the only meals your family has, it's just not a dignified way to survive for a lot of our families right now.
0: What are some of the stories that you're hearing from the folks coming to you folks?
1: So for us, I think as a family resource center being affiliated with the school district, so many of our ag families have relied on schools to be more than just a place of education, right? So students come to us at seven in the morning and stay till six at night. And so what that means is parents are allowed to work the hours necessary to be able to earn enough wages in the fields to provide for their families. But that also comes with three meals a day, it comes with childcare, it comes with supervision and a place that's safe and warm and welcoming for these students and it's all gone now, right? So we have families who are doubled up, tripled up in these really compacted living situations expected to stay indoors and sort of care for themselves in isolation while the parents are still working.
0: Yeah, you have that really like one of the most expensive housing markets in California and farm workers, they, they have to live three, four families to a house. Centers like yours are like one-stop shops. You said you already have childcare, you give food, you have classes. So what are some of the other organizations that you collaborate with so you can continue right now?
1: So we're really grateful for our local food bank, right? So I think on top of the meals at schools to provide, there's also weekends. So we've partnered with our food banks to be able to provide food drives for families to take care of the weekend hours when there's no access to schools. We have some really great uh, legal advocates here in the community through the California Rural Legal Assistance folks at CRLA are able to help provide EDD questions. How do you fill out paid family leave paperwork? And really, every situation is so different based on immigration and income status. You need someone with that legal background to be able to explain to people what options are available. So without that level of expertise, we couldn't provide quality information for our families.
0: Describe what a typical day is now at the center. Because You know, obviously, usually it's already going to be busy enough. But what's a typical day like now?
1: The first thing we have to do is check uh, phone messages, right? So respecting the county public health decision for safe social distancing practices, we do a lot by phone and really trying to embrace this digital world of technology. So we get a couple hundred phone calls a day. I have a question about section four of my unemployment or who do I talk to if I want to renew my Mika because I'm not sure of what's going on. So really just kind of shuffling through and prioritizing the the referrals that come in. Um, we get a lot of requests for food, as I had mentioned. So when the food bank isn't available or folks can't come out, we're, we're willing to deliver it to doors because we understand how important it is. We're doing our ESL programming. All of our adult learning is still taking place online. Like the staff has really stepped up and adjusted. And I think one of the best services we've been able to provide, we had a mobile health clinic that would come free of costs, no questions about status or documentation, they would provide free preventative medical practices for folks. And um, most people who utilize that service were ag workers. And so they're actually doing video telehealth sessions now. So Even our healthcare system has really adapted to the times and is willing to do Zoom sessions to um, provide some question and answer for folks who have respiratory questions or sort of want to know more about best practices to protect themselves and their families.
0: I just think it's really telling that right now, even the middle of this pandemic, folks are still logging in for the ESL classes. They're still wanting to learn English.
1: Right. And I think that there's this big misconception about motivation and inspiration in in our ag families. So parents are understanding how valuable it is for them to learn aside their students. So many of them step up and are willing to learn a language to better themselves, to be better for their families. And the students are watching. And it's really something access is an issue. And so you do see people in the parking lots accessing Wi-Fi, sitting outside of cafeterias, we expect everyone to have access, and we don't always recognize that, you know, internet is not a utility like so many of us grew up with, but it's, it's a privilege that a lot of our families don't have. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
0: Carissa, how do you see coronavirus and you know everything that's going to come afterwards and right now, how do you see it changing the lives of ag workers?
1: It's definitely not a positive thing, right? I think I struggle sometimes personally when I don't have an answer. I think that everything has become so impacted that no single problem exists in isolation. So whether it's immigration or housing or food or how do you um, provide financial supports to families who literally are are struggling right now is it's hard.
0: Yeah. And of course, the whole issue of immigration sort of looms over all this. Uh, ICE right now is saying we're not going to deport anyone. That's what they say, of course. But that's never far away from the minds of undocumented people.
1: Right. And I think as um, a district, as a resource center, we have recognized that immigration status really does impact decision making. So in times like this, when it's do I stay home? Do I still continue to put myself at risk to go in the fields? People are putting themselves at risk because they understand that's their only access to the financial means they need to take care of their families and to feed and house their families.
0: Farm workers are invisible to the millions of Californians who live in urban areas or in cities. Obviously, in Salinas, they're all over the place. So what would be your message as someone who's right there, who works with these farm workers? What do you want to tell the rest of Californians about those ag workers right now?
1: I think for me, you know, I came to this community growing up with privilege, going to college, having a food and having two parents and never knowing what it was like to feel hungry. And when I came here 10 years ago, I never left. The level of humility, the level of love that our field workers have for their families is something that moves us to do what we do every day. And I think it's not just in the fields, in the empaque, it's a 24 hour a day commitment that families and moms and dads are making to their children. And it's something that should inspire people. People shouldn't feel any resentment or sort of hostility toward these folks because they do the work that so many of us don't see and don't understand. And I think one of the most beautiful things for me is I have the opportunity to see the next generations coming after them, right? So you see kids going away to college and coming back and taking care of their community. So even here at the center, I have some amazing staff members who grew up here who are the children of farm workers who went and got their degrees, are pursuing their masters in social work and mental health, and they're making this community a better place because they are the children of farm workers and they are the backbone and heart and everything that we have in this community is owed to them.
0: Yeah. And I would say like right now, you're seeing all these inequities coming up with coronavirus. I'm sure for this next generation, it's almost like they live in it so much that sometimes they can't see the inequities right in front of their face. But now as they're hearing all across California what's going on, I'm sure that's going to influence them in the future and what they want to do.
1: Right. And I think for a lot of people who grew up in communities like these, we we normalize what it's like to suffer and it's not something that's on the forefront of how they make their decisions. They survive and they thrive because they don't know any other way. And that's why they're successful in school and they're successful in life is because hard work is sort of modeled for them every single day. And you don't know what it's like until you step outside of, of this community and see how other people live and you're grateful for the opportunities that your families and your parents have been able to provide for you.
0: How about you personally? I mean, you have thousands of families who are reliant on the center, but I'm sure you have your own things to deal with too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason that I do this work, right? I think we all have a purpose and I don't have a family of my own per se. Like, I don't have children, but I consider this community to be my family. When I came here, I was welcomed with open arms and I'm constantly being told thank you and people bring me fresas and lechuga and it's something that may not seem like much to people but it's this extension of gratitude that goes so much beyond uh, a flat of like strawberries right and so For me, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to work for these families because I know that they work for me at the end of the day. And um, despite what folks want to say, people who work in ag are paying taxes, so they're paying my salary. All of us who are deemed essential are deemed essential because we have people who are still working who are paying our salaries while this is going on. And we owe it to them to do our best to improve the quality of life that they and their families are living right now.
0: That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me gustavo.arellano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Areano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentra Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Keflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Even. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff for the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up to the minute tracker of cases across California. Don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit com slash support latimes to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.